0: Hello everyone. It's me and Ben back on Philosophy for the People. Uh, and today, well today we've we've baited you in with the promise of Jordan Pearson. Uh, but for the first little while, we're gonna be talking about logic. Um, so Ben wrote an article last week, which we didn't cover because he was out and about on the liar paradox. Um do you wanna give a 10-second gloss, 30-second gloss on the liar paradox, Ben?
1: Sure. I should say, uh, for anybody who's unfamiliar, all of these articles are uh, the philosophy for the people, Substack. So that's benburgess.substack.com, and that link is down there below the box where we're talking right now. Uh, but yeah, so the, the liar paradox is the paradox about sentences like the following one. What I'm saying right now is not true. And there is this one way of thinking about that problem is that there are two really basic logical principles that seem to come into conflict, if you think about how that sentence works. One of them is that every statement is either true or not true. Uh, That's called the fancy name for that is the law of the excluded middle. And the other one is that uh, no statement is both true and untrue. That's the law of non-contradiction. And the problem is, in this case, if that statement is true, it's it's not true, so it's both. If it's false, it's not true, so it's both. If it's, um, you know, if it's some mysterious third thing that's not true and not false, then it's not true, and so it is true. So it's both. You know, that's the, you know, that's the problem.
0: And um, what kind of shocked me about the article, which people can go read, and we aren't going to spend that much time on it. I guess I mean I don't know I should be shocked because I know about this kind of debate, but it was kind of surprising to think about that people would be willing to abandon those two incredibly important principles for just everyday reasoning and making sense of anything for the sake of these few useless sentences.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Like. <sighs> yeah. So there are issues. I mean, in some ways, it's the. You know Cicero thing, right? He says somewhere that there's no position that's so uh, ridiculous it isn't advocated by some philosopher. Uh, but you know, I, I think to give it to, you know, so like, yeah, there, there's like nothing that's too extreme that like somebody out there hasn't advocated it. But uh, but it's also, I mean, I guess to give the to give the position its due, you know, you think like, okay, well, if we're really trying to understand what's going on here then uh there are all these ways you know then like sure it it might seem kind of unimportant but also like seriously what what is going on with those with those sentences is that you know like uh i mean you could just decide to not think about it or whatever but i mean if you are interested in thinking about it then then you know you try to get to the bottom of it then uh you know, it, 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 in a way, it is a natural thought that you'll have at some point. It's like, well, maybe these incredibly important bedrock principles, maybe these aren't universal generalizations. Maybe there are real exceptions to these things. And people who say stuff like that typically end up saying, well, um, so uh, dialetheism is the fancy name for the giving up on non-contradiction position uh that's, which sounds like
0: some weird variant of atheism or theism or
1: something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dial a theist maybe. Uh yeah. uh if you want to know about religion, dial atheist. That's uh yeah, so that's uh so most famously advocated by this guy Graham Priest. Uh so the the dub joke that I reproduced in the essay to helps you remember Is he still alive? Yeah, he is, yeah. Hello,
0: Graham. Uh,
1: yeah, he's still yeah he wrote a new book in like 2021 so uh i i don't you know and I'm, I'm pretty sure i would have heard about it if he not but um, but yeah he uh so uh you know i went to a conference in uh glasgow like 10 years ago uh to that was about his uh his book and i remember somebody there making this dumb joke they're reproducing the essay which is uh to you know help you remember who this who this guy is and what his position is, which is that an Irish priest, a Scottish priest, a grand priest walk into a bar. The Irish priest says, I'll have a whiskey. The Scottish priest says, I won't. uh, grand priest says, I'll have what they're having. So is uh, accepting the possibility of true contradictions with dialetheism means like a is like true. So it's like two truths or the opposite. You know, and so. Priest will say you can have uh okay, so maybe we should be rejecting classical logic in favor of paraconsistent logic, which is a fancy name of say, way of saying like inconsistency tolerance, that some contradictions can be true without everything being true, like they are in classical logic. Hartree Field has the equal and opposite position. He says, Okay, well, that would be ridiculous, but maybe we could say there are exceptions to the law of the excluded middle. So, uh so he has his like parallel position is called uh, paracompleteness that, you know, we, we abandoned this requirement of completeness that every single statement is either true or not true. And people who say stuff like this will typically say, okay, obviously uh, these principles do play a certain role in our ordinary reasoning. And, and, uh, and so if you just said, well, they're just wrong. So any logical rules that are like based on them are just, despite all appearances, just not right. Um, which is like, that would, that would be kind of crazy, right? Like they, you know, I mean, if I say, uh, you know, if I haven't been in uh, Mexico for long enough to make sure what these, which, what these coins are, but they have a, uh, you know, if there's like a, you know, here's a coin put in my hands. It's in one of my hands. It's not in this one. Right. So it must be in this one. That's disjunctive syllogism, right? Either A or B, not mm-hmm. A, therefore B, which only works if the law of non-contradiction is right. Because right, and, and by the
0: fact that children believe that sort of thing, it's very easy to do magic. <laughs> yeah, there and you the go. fact that you know you can yeah, animals, you can trick them in the same way, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, but so people, basically, people, you know, like people, I won't go through it all here people can read the essay if they're interested but i'll uh people who say stuff like this will have strategies for trying to minimize the damage they'll say like okay uh even though these prints you know whichever which prince- i don't think is like really like
0: if you're gonna believe contradictions you just go fucking wild with it mate <laughs>
1: Yeah. What is this half-assed? Yeah, Uh, yeah. Well, they don't want to, you know, like like that little bit of reasoning about the coin, you know, that they don't want to be completely crazy people and say that that's not legitimate in some way. So they have to have some kind of explanation of like, okay, maybe there are certain spheres where classical logic still works or something like that. And so, in the essay, which is also based on, I mean, I I wrote a book about this that. finally came out last year, Logic Without Gaps or gluts. so you can read the essay to get, like, a little bit of this. You can read the book if you, like, really want a lot of it, but, like, I spent a lot of that um, sort of arguing that these strategies to minimize the, the damage don't really work, right? That if you if you say, like, it doesn't really make sense on closer investigation to say, okay, here are the spheres in which this works, and here are the ones that doesn't, you know, like, there's, there's no... There's actually on once you um you know once you open Pandora's box, right? There's there's really no there's really no good way to uh to contain it like that. And so if you think that the um you know, if you think that there's that like it would be crazy to say that the coin argument isn't a valid argument, uh then you need to go looking for somewhere else to explain what's going on with with those sentences, you need an alternate theory. And I, I give one of them in the, in the essay of the book.
0: I mean, do you want to, do you want to spoil the ending? Because I went into the essay with an idea and we basically agreed in the end.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, essentially. So the, the key move is about uh, propositions. So, cause obviously if I say like the sentence I'm saying right now is not true, like that sentence exists, Right. I mean, that, that like, uh, you know, that combination of sounds, that grammatical object, whatever, right? That thing exists. But, uh, but I think what we're really concerned with, we're thinking about logic, is sentences exactly. It's the propositions that are expressed by sentences. So, proposition is like if I, uh, if you say, uh, the, i don't know uh you know stefan is not here and uh uh and then you say like a spanish sentence stefan no esta key i guess uh, if that's wrong uh by uh you know i'm, I'm working on two 42 days of duolingo I'll, I'll get it right eventually uh but assuming that i got it right uh those uh those two sentences are different sentences, right? They're, they're different combinations of words, but they, it, you know, mean the same thing or the fancy way of saying that is they express the same proposition that the, the same property is being attributed to the same object in, in both sentences. And so basically I don't think, you know, it's like, okay, they're clearly liar sentences, but I don't really think there's a liar proposition. I don't, I don't, I don't think that, um, right
0: what does that sentence mean what does it refer to what does it know like it's just fucking it's nothing
1: yeah i I mean so so like an an analogy it's a very rough analogy but i think i use it in the essay is like if i say this is that right like that's everybody knows in a sense what that sentence means they understand all those words they they know how the rules of grammar you know string those meanings together right but What proposition am I expressing when I say this is that? I mean, look, I, I could be expressing a number of different propositions, you know, but if I'm just, since in this case, I just made it up as an example, and I don't have one in mind, right, then like, you know, I'm not, right, it's a grammatically well formed sentence, but it doesn't you know, it doesn't mean anything in the sense of expressing. I mean, this uh, is
0: obviously like a controversial example, but what immediately came to my mind was when people talk about God's omnipotence. Yeah. Um, And one suggestion for why, why things like, you know, can God make a rock, which is too heavy for him to lift is not a problem. Is that these sentences just don't make sense. Like it's, it's like asking, can like God flank a door, you know, like it's, it's just the, 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 so for me, like, Getting into it, these the sentences, the possibility that there can be a sentence which seems like it refers to something, but in reality, it just doesn't make any sense, was was very familiar to me, basically.
1: Yeah. I think my take on that one might just be no.
0: <laughs> can God make a rock? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the kind of more standard answer, that God just can't do the logically impossible.
1: Um, mm-hmm. But there's also a okay. suggestion
0: that maybe the, these sort of sentences just, they seem yeah. like they, they refer to something, but they don't.
1: What's interesting, yeah, interesting. Sorry, yeah. go on. No, well, I
0: was just going to. I was going to move on to Jordan Peterson because what's interesting we can is
1: do, we could do heavy rocks another week. We, uh, <laughs> I think we
0: might be too aligned on at least some matters because I went into the logic essay with an idea of of, of kind of the answer, um, and I went to the Jordan Peterson essay with with also an idea of what the answer would be. Um, and, and it was also your answer, which is that Jordan Peterson is a fucking atheist.
1: Yeah, I think he's an atheist. Um, so, I I mean, I've been, I mean, basically I've been, uh, so I I, sh- I should say, so the, the setup for this, like I was originally going to write about, uh, actually I was going to write about uh, Sam Harris this week. So in a sense, it's not that far off because uh, the original plan was I was going to write about Sam Harris's book about free will uh but
0: all right that'll be fun because i've answered so many fucking questions on reddit about
1: it yeah yeah okay great yeah let's do it next week uh but the so that was the original plan but i ended up getting sidetracked for that plan because on monday uh i was sitting on a plane uh, i you know so we've done the the live show in new york on sunday and so on monday jason miles jordan dubin and i were were getting ready to to fly back to the west coast and I was sitting on the plane kind of absentmindedly going through my Twitter feed on my phone uh, in that, you know, mindless, addicted way that you do. And in uh, I saw Jordan Peterson tweeting, atheists unconsciously worship Pan. I was like, well, that's fun, right? Like, <laughs> what, what is Jordan thinking right now, right? Like, like this is, a, I mean, this is, you know, I kind of admit in the essay it's like part of the reason I've written so much about him I mean, some of it, uh, in political context at least, is because – You know he's immensely, depressingly influential, but like, you know, there's also part of it that's just the guy is just fascinatingly strange, right? And so, even having spent way too much attention, you know, time paying attention to him over the years, he'll still say things that like, wait, what? Right? And this is one of those, right? Atheists unconsciously worship Pan is like, wait, really? What? What? What is he saying right now? And. I mean, that's but, it's kind of like a post by that, but
0: do you know that guy on Twitter who, who he, he posts similar things, like kind of um, he's like a postmodern neo-Marxist kind of person who posts like, you know, you know, all, all leftists or Heide- Heideggerans or whatever. And he clearly has no idea what he's talking about. But he just says these, these words over and over again. He's really big like- too. I don't, am not sure. Uh, yeah. I can't remember his name, but whatever. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah, like,
1: and then, so, so in this, I was I was thinking about this, like this weird, you know, this weird Twitter thread that Jordan Peterson had about how atheists worship pan, and um, and it it actually was it was interesting to me because I have spent you know way too much time tracking his weird pronouncements since like you know twenty eighteen or maybe even twenty seventeen, you know, when he kind of first came on my radar, and. And it really hit me. I mean, this is this is not a totally, you know, this is not original, you know, uh, like like there are other people who said things like this about him, but I mean, like, it it really hit me when I was sort of going through a lot of the previous bizarre statements he's made about religion and other subjects, that it's like, you know, there is something really funny about this because he likes to score culture war points by bashing atheists, but that raises an obvious question well what does george peterson believe does he believe in god right and it if you if you look start like really paying close attention to the things he said about this i think no i think he really wants to right but uh but i think it's i think in a weird way like like there's a lot of like he he famously spouts a lot of gibberish when this question comes open, right? Like so, a, a famous example from late last year, I think, from his trip to Israel, uh, he was uh, talking to Mohammed Hijab. Was uh, said, uh, "Do you believe in God?" Well, you know, there are several mysteries in that question. What do you mean by do? What do you mean by you? What do you mean by believe? It's like, oh, that's a weird thing to say. Why is he saying that? Like, uh, you know, like he and he says a lot of different kinds of weird things when the subject comes up. And and I have to say, I mean, to give him, I guess, one sort of credit where credit is due, I think he's like a little bit too honest to just.
0: No, I mean, it's it's incredible that he's never just lied about it and just said, "Yeah." yeah. Like I would do that by accident
1: at some point. Yeah, he never just says. Yep, totally. Next question. Right? Like yeah, like 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 there's always some weird song and dance. About like, it's
0: it. not just that Peterson kind of hedges and is vague, but that he's an absolute kind of there's no one in the world that's good at him as him. And he just does it like for him it's natural as breathing, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. Like he just the I mean
0: it's it's probably from, you know, being like the token conservative in like a a liberal arts department for all his life.
1: Mm-hmm yeah I, mean, I guess psychiatry but yeah um i mean i think yeah i, I wonder right like because because you're right he does do this thing that's like you watch enough of it you get kind of inured to it but then like you do something like transcribe some of it to quote it in an essay and it just hits you afresh and it's like wait what right because like the the things like uh, you know Toward the end of the essay, I talk about this this video from uh, when when Peterson and uh, well, his now employer Ben Shapiro uh, at the Daily Wire uh, appeared together on Dave Rubin's show a few years ago, and and Rubin asked the God question, and you know, like Ben Shapiro gives a very boring answer when it's finally his turn. Like he's he's like you know it's it's like a sort of very straightforward like you know okay i kind of vaguely remember what thomas aquinas said i'll i'll sort of do my best to to repeat that kind of answer right i'll go to school essay yeah yeah yeah. Uh, and um exactly and but like the stuff that peterson says is like did, did he like it sounds like he's like maybe just coming down from some amazing ketamine experience and he's like not quite down yet and he's trying to communicate you know what what he's experienced you know over the course of the last several hours and it's like all you know it's uh it's it's very emotionally intense you know he's talking about you know jesus at the beginning i'm not going to embarrass myself by trying to do a jordan peterson accent but you know as it says uh like the uh you know, Jesus says in the New Testament's no way to the Father through him, and there's that's a hell of a thing to say, a hell of a thing to say. And he he was like really worked up about it, but then he, he kinda of loses this train of thought and he and he never really finishes the thought and he he pivots to this stuff about evolutionary biology and psychology and how you know we have more female ancestors than male ones because uh, the everybody desired the high status males and uh uh, then, like, it, it's sort of, like, he sort of works his way up to uh, this thing about how, uh, like, this, like, weird kind of Jungian, but also evolutionary kind of view about how, uh, you know, uh, you know, this, this, like, spirit of masculinity is embedded in our, you know, DNA or whatever, you know, because of this evolutionary history, and it's like, okay, this is all kind. Kind of nonsense, but it, it also sounds like a naturalistic explanation for why people believe in God, right? That's that's uh, it. Doesn't sound like you're. I mean, this sounds like the opposite, right? Of of you endorsing religious belief. And then he sort of tacks on, and I think he realizes at a certain point his answer. Hold on, right? I'm kind of coming down on the wrong side of this question now. Like I, I want to be on team religion, and so he says this stuff in the stuff at the and about no no no. but i also think there's this metaphysical layer underneath that but then like what he says about the metaphysical layer is is just so hopelessly vague that it it just doesn't mean anything really it's it's like uh mean
0: no, it's not even like a kind of a modified catholic answer because for kind of i mean like the catholic church thinks you know has a as in the catholic catechism that it's kind of it's obvious that god exists from just looking at the natural world right yeah and he could very easily go with that tact, but, you know... he's no, made he his could house. have,
1: but this is the thing. I think if Jordan Peterson believed in God, then he could say that. But, like, he's in this weird position where he doesn't. I mean, he, he wants to, but he doesn't. Uh, and he's, he's, you know, and he, but he's, like, just too honest to, like, straightforward... Like, like he's he's willing to fudge it, right? But he's not willing to just, like outright misrepresent his beliefs uh which you know one of the things i say in the s is i find this fascinating too because given his stated views about truth um i think that it's uh like he would actually be sort of there's a way that consistently with what he thinks the truth is he could say yeah yeah that's true god exists and leave it at that right but like i think he i think maybe he doesn't like in some weird way he doesn't completely buy his own stated view on truth right so so his his stated view is like well if basically if if some you know beliefs are true if they're good for the survival and flourishing of the human race and uh and he clearly thinks that that religion is good you know religious belief christian belief you know is good for the survival and flourish into the human race. I mean, something you pointed out to me. Uh, I don't know, uh, several months back, right? The uh, we we did a stream on on sublation like in two thousand twenty two sometime. So I, I think you you were the one who first pointed this out to me. And, and when you said it, it was like, oh yeah, right, that's obviously correct. And I, I ended up putting it in this essay uh, is like when when Peterson talks about Nietzsche, he does it in this weird way. It's like yeah. he sort—he sort, sort of—it's like as if he thinks that Nietzsche is a Christian, right? That like mm-hmm. that like the death of God is this like dire warning about this yeah. horrible thing that's happened to Western civilization. Well, well,
0: <laughs> Nietzsche isn't a Christian, but he—you know—he—he he should be a guy like Peterson who pretends, because otherwise <laughs> he would have lost. And I think that's kind of the most fascinating thing about Peterson—that he's very forthright about being a Nietzschean, but he's a complete reversal. What Nietzsche suggested, because when Nietzsche talks about the death of God in his books, he's you know he's addressing people who are meant to already be atheists, right? He's not right. he's not an argument that God doesn't exist. Uh, yeah, it's not right. addressing Christians. It's addressing kind of intellectual scene in Europe that at that point had already lost God as kind of a metaphysical ordering principle, like a solid ground in which everything could lay. And he's suggesting that you know this can lead us into an absolute insane, disastrous nihilism. Or we can try and do something creative with it. Um, yeah, but what we definitely shouldn't do is kind of pretend that God exists, and that doesn't necessarily mean in the direct way that Peterson does it. Um, it can it, it can mean like a more vague term of kind of of like trying to find in other functions the function that God's played, while Nietzsche is just saying that there's no solid foundation under us at all. Um, but I think that it's really fascinating that Peterson. Not only tries to find like the Christian God in himself, but as you know, and the kind of the trigger, the the trigger to this article, he tries to find God everywhere. So God is dead, but but Peterson is trying to see him everywhere.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, like so. Look, I I think um, it's not a very high bar that people who want to write about Nietzsche should sort of be aware that Nietzsche doesn't like Christianity. Uh that that seems like a, a reasonable expectation. Uh that, you know, everybody has that as a starting point, but that that is weirdly the the part that Peterson seems to be missing, right? You know, and, and I, I agree. I mean, Nietzsche isn't saying like I mean the last thing that Nietzsche is doing is like sitting around like, you know, some fucking nerd like me might, you know, like like sort of you know, giving you arguments that there isn't a God, right? You know, is uh you know, is that's like I mean, if anything, I mean it's like the right, you know, Zarathustra comes down from the mountain and like it's like it's like, oh, is it uh you know, what's what's the you know, is it possible that the old man of the mountain hadn't heard the news? Right? You know? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, 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 yeah. You, know, you know, then it's like like everybody fucking knows this. He, he walks away
0: laughing, you know? Like that's the funniest thing to him that someone yeah. hadn't heard about is dead
1: yeah exactly so it's like the uh the idea is um uh that's funny i remember i think doug lane uh years and years ago he wrote this essay it was gonna be for tor.com i think it was like some very doug lane thing it was like star trek and the death of god or something and uh right. he, and uh and i think the editor's objected to it because there was it was like uh there was there was something he'd said that was like offensive or hurtful to religious belief and I remember Doug making the point at the time it's like well this really proves the point doesn't it right that's like because if God wasn't dead right in other words if this sort of like unifying cultural belief in God you know wasn't wasn't over um the objection wouldn't be that it was offensive right it would yeah. be that it was like heretical right you know yeah. that you um but uh but yeah so so i mean like the the point of the point of all that like yeah like laughing at the you know old man who doesn't you know hasn't heard the news yet that god is dead is like is that you should you should get real about the fact that this like it's it's sort of no longer possible to take this stuff seriously and then you ask the really interesting question which is you know what comes next um and you know, do we you know forge new and better values or whatever like Nietzsche wants us to? But like, regardless, what comes next? And uh, and so so yeah. I mean, I, I guess I'm, I'm saying what you're saying, but I mean just, just to like underline and circle the point, you know that like uh, Peterson, you know,
0: you said without saying the word metaphysical, sir. So. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, like it's uh, like what. Uh, yeah i mean it's peterson it's funny as you were saying that i was thinking about so there's a line in the book that peterson wrote before 12 rules for life right 12 rules for life is a like psychotically successful book um yeah it was came out five years ago and it's still you know in the like few hundred most purchased of the tens of millions of books on amazon um but before that, he wrote another book that nobody reads called Maps of Meeting. Um, and that one has,
0: like, actual, like, academic citations and stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's weird because it is that, but it's also a much crazier book than 12 Rules for Life. Like, 12 Rules for Life is, um, 12 Rules for Life is like, mostly just totally unobjectionable and uninterested self-help advice like yeah like I, I
0: looked at it a bit for my phd to see if there was if he talked about privilege much in there which he doesn't uh but yeah it seemed very boring
1: yeah i mean most of 12 rules for life is like you should clean your room um and i should
0: clean my room it's a mess
1: yeah well you should clean your room uh and if you're not walking up with your back straight and you know the other the other rules like like i think oh, I, no. I, I've got great, i've got great posture though Okay. All right. All right. Good. So you have a good starting point. Um, uh, you know, but but almost all the rules are totally fine. I have no objection to like. There's like one of them that's like, don't let your children do anything that would make you hate them. That I think is like a little silly. It's like, you know, good luck there's with there that. The one that
0: but, has a skateboard in the title. Uh, yes.
1: Yeah, don't bother. Don't bother. Yeah, it's like you shouldn't bother teenagers while they're skateboarding or stuff like that. Right. And, uh. You know, it's, but it's like yeah, they
0: don't... it just shows how much of a fucking liberal he is. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, don't <laughs> why, I don't like what Peterson is—an atheist liberal academic <laughs> who, for whatever reason, is like the head reactionary and hangs around with all these actual kind of like <laughs> when 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 Peterson is saying when he's talking to Andy Ngo,
1: however however you say it. I think just, you um, know, whatever, yeah.
0: And he's, like, crying. And there's a real, you can tell, like, he's an emotional man, but there's a lot going on. And and he's saying, you know, atheists are committing a crime with a hatred against the being of God or whatever. Um,
1: what's going through his head? That is a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, he's somebody, he, he really, again, he really likes the idea of religion. He's very... He he hates, you know, leftists and atheists and you know various groups like this. But yeah, his own his own belief system is is not always as far apart from it as, as he would like to think, uh, or for that matter, from for postmodernism, which is another thing that he likes to hate. Uh, but but in um, but yeah, like twelve rules for life. Other than like the one about child rearing, which is like a little you know silly and. Uh, and the one, and then there's like one that's just like his like bad politics, just filtered into a self-help advice. That's like, you know, it's like don't complain about the world until everything's great about you kind of rule. Um, but other than that, the other 10 are totally fine. I mean, you, you should probably do almost all of those things. Uh, but in um, he's got like 12 rules for life. He's got like a few pages of ranting about postmodern neo-Marxism because he can't help himself, but... like Look,
0: I was also going to say that, you know, the guy that's giving natural exf- naturalistic explanations for God and, you know, is some kind of vague pragmatist, who, sir, really is the postmodern neo-Marxist? <laughs>
1: yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, he certainly... I believe a, in I mean, the truth. I, I mean, he's a weird relativist about truth. He has a... Uh, uh, he he likes to play weird games about not knowing what words mean. Uh, again, I I think in some ways what some of what he thinks is actually kind of a parody of postmodernism, but um, but like Twelve Rules for Life is mostly pretty normal. There's like a sprinkling of Petersonian insanity throughout the book, but it's like mostly normal and fine. Maps of Meaning, the earlier book, is really weird i mean it's like it's it's his it's a in some ways it's his like academic kind of book about you know Yugi and psychology and all that but there's also um uh, like one of the reason i was thinking about it earlier is that he says uh he says this thing of, like there's a point where he says something in the book i know Fred matt mcbattis always likes to quote this line he says it's more than metaphysically true it's like what the fuck does that mean more than metaphysically true <laughs> um, it's just another word for reedy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he also, by the way, the one of the reasons I know nobody reads Mapsomitted is that uh, there's like really weird, embarrassing shit that he says in there about like his own dreams that like people would constantly be quoted to make fun of if anybody read that book. Uh, that, uh, like there's a thing about his grandmother that I'm not going to quote on a family friendly, uh, uh, podcast. Uh, there's a, there's a great, um, there's a thing like he's got this whole thing about how he used to be, um, like he says he used to be a socialist. Uh, he was a member of some socialist group in Canada, which, you know, he's kind of dramatic about everything. So he almost makes it sound like he was a member of a revolutionary communist party or something, but like, I'm, 90 percent sure it's just the ndp but whatever he uh you know then he uh he gave up on that uh he he came to see the error of his ways because he read george orwell and misinterpreted him basically and uh then he uh but he was still concerned enough about uh you know certain kinds of political issues that he was—you know—he was very concerned about the danger of nuclear war, and he said he had like a year of having these intense, vivid dreams about a uh, thermonuclear apocalypse, and uh, and he says that was what originally led to his interest in psychology. That first he read Freud's book, Dream Psychology, <coughs> and then he read. Uh, but then Freud was wanted to make everything all about sex. And he said his dreams had nothing to do with sex, so he, <laughs> he didn't know else there, and which is what led him to young. Hold that thought. The one example he gives us is one of these dreams is uh, starts out by him talking about how he's in uh, he's in his dream, he's watching TV with his cousin, who he parenthetically describes as the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen. this cousin. Uh, and then something goes wrong with the TV, and he goes down to the basement to like check it out. And then uh, the bomb goes off; everything's destroyed, and right. and he walks outside, and the post nuclear apocalypse landscape is all chaos. Including for some reason, there are dogs walking around In their hind legs, and the dogs are offering people uh, are 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 bartering. Uh, The dogs are, like, trading uh, cooked meat for uh, for canned food, Uh, and Hmm. so he takes the trade, he he accepts some of the cooked meat from one of the dogs, and then he realizes that the cooked meat is the cooked flesh of his hot cousin. Hmm. It's like, yeah, man, you're right, Freud couldn't help you with this. There's absolutely nothing sexual going on here (laughs) about this trade. Like, obviously. I
0: mean, seems like one of those, you know, like, reddit Shitty horror stories, you know. But then the, the, the meat was your dad.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm mean, all of you know, but I mean going back to to the original point, um I think what Peterson is doing is I think you're exactly right. I think it's I think it is precisely uh the thing that his you know his guy Nietzsche wants people not to do which is to say like oh it would be really bad if god was dead so let's just pretend that he's that he's still alive you know that like you know you're not like grappling with it you know properly um and you know and and i find you know this really interested, especially in light of the fact that he does have this weird view about truth that would, on the face of it, look like a get-out-of-jail-free pass to let him say what he clearly, so clearly, so desperately wants to say, which is, yes, God exists, I believe it, full stop, right? Uh, that Because, okay, so he clearly believes that you know, Christian religious belief is like really good for the world. It's like a really positive social force. it's like really dangerous to lose it. And his official position, like I mean the first time I ever heard Peterson for an extended period of time, I think uh, was um, like I know i I know I first encountered him because I saw uh, Doug Lane again posting a uh, a clip of Peterson like in a lecture hall ranting about Marxists. Um and uh which was probably 2017, maybe, uh maybe early twenty. He
0: became famous when I was in Syria, so I missed out.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, probably if you were, you know, probably there was a lag of six months or so before everybody in Syria was reading 12 Rules for Life, but uh (laughs) uh, (laughs) but um but yeah, like he was so I know I didn't listen to this when it first came out, but I know by 2018 at least I had listened to this Peterson's first appearance on Sam Harris's podcast, which is now called Making Sense. It used to be called Waking Up. And um, this was before 12 Rules came out. So the, basically the, you know the thing that like really 12 Rules was the book that really took Peterson into the stratosphere but he had already started to gain some, some fame before then because of his crusade against Bill C-16 in Canada which right. in Peterson's imagination was a was a uh, a law to force him to say people's preferred pronouns um, and that like, he would be
0: arrested and charged with a crime if he didn't, not that he would get like in trouble in
1: some other way yeah, that that is, he did say a lot of things that suggested that, yeah um, which is kind of amazing on a lot of levels, but, um, but anyway, that's what he thought, uh, that the, that it was, it was the, like, I mean, C16, as far as I've ever been able to tell, and look, I'm not a, a lawyer, never mind a Canadian lawyer, but, uh, the Canadian bar association seems to agree with me about this. If you go back and look at their, uh, the, the, uh, statement they released about it at the time that this was being, being debated, so as as far as I could tell, C-16 was just like an anodyne proposal to expand Canada's pre-existing framework of anti-discrimination law to include gender identity. And like the, the reason, like the kind of thing that the law was really targeting was like housing and employment discrimination and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, but It
0: passed many years ago, right? And he's still...
1: Yeah, yeah. Nobody, as far as I know... I mean, look. If I'm wrong about this, uh, you know, I've got a so contact all, on my so website. People, you could write it correct. One Jordan Peterson, but
0: first off, there's the Jordan Peterson who died in Russia from the benzodiazepine treatment. But there's also a third Jordan Peterson who's in prison in Canada for doing anti-trans
1: crimes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like. So yes, if anybody could could point me to to evidence that contradicts this, send me a message and I will I will I will eat crow on this. But I don't believe that anybody has gone to jail for for using the wrong pronouns in these several years that this law has been on the books in Canada. I really don't think it was about that. But um, and even if it was, anyway, whatever. Uh, so. Um, I also didn't never understood if, he, if that was really his concern, why he wasn't advocating like, hey, let's have an amendment to like spell out, right? This cannot be used to uh, to punish people for the pronouns. Um, but regardless, uh, so this was the context of his appearance on Sam Harris's podcast. Uh, Harris, I think, was too credulous about uh, about it, right? I mean, that'd be my critique of Harris on that podcast that he he doesn't really push back. It's like, really, are you sure? That this is going to be used that way That, you know, they're building the pronoun gulags You know, like, that That doesn't sound plausible, right uh, But, uh, in any case uh, In uh, uh, They barely talk about it Because they get sidetracked very early in the discussion And they end up spending most of it uh, Arguing about truth And uh, And Peterson advocates this weird view that's like this kind of i mean i call the essay this kind of bargain basement pragmatism about truth in that like it's like a really you know dumb version of what pragmatist philosophers might have thought about truth that like there's that you know those guys might have thought that there's some you know like okay so the correspondence theory of truth uh says that you know, you have statements that describe facts and if they're describing them correctly, the statements are true. And if they're misrepresenting the facts and the statements are false, uh, which, you know, is one of those things that you run into in philosophy where when you say it out loud, it, it seems weird that you'd even have to spell that out. But that's the... Uh, uh, and, you know, there is a complicated debate about this and there, there are real criticisms of that or whatever, but like... Um, but... You know, pragmatists of any kind reject that and say no. Um, that's not what makes statements true. That instead we sh- instead of like looking for correspondence to some kind of external reality, we should, uh, in order to think about what truth is, we should be sort of staying within the sphere of like, uh, you know, human concerns in some way. Like so, like uh, CS uh, says uh, I believe uh, I'm absolutely nothing like a purse scholar but I think that his view is like uh, well statements are true if they would be included within like final science or they're consistent with like the sort of like wh- whatever like at the sort of end point of scientific inquiry you know we would um, we would arrive at uh, that that's what makes statements true and and they're You know, it's like probably a very interesting discussion to be had about why people like Pierce or William James don't like the correspondence theory and what these other views have going for them and people criticize those other views on the grounds that it's like, okay, but wait a second, couldn't there be things that like we're never going to discover but just are objectively true or not true and you know, whatever, like there's a whole debate we can have about this. And to be honest, I'm not very sympathetic to even the sort of smart and sophisticated kind of pragmatism but regardless, Jordan Peterson's kind is is just kind of dumb, right? I mean, it's it's, it's like a uh, it's it's like somebody. I
0: mean, 70- it, it seems dumb, but also he's not very good at defending it. Because with some example that Tom's that Sam Harris gave about like a toxic dump. That, that's what you said in the essay, right?
1: Yeah, 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 so so in the in the essence, this bad. So yeah, Peterson's view is is that um, truth is about what what promotes the survival and flourishing, maybe of the of the human race. And uh, Harris lobs some pretty basic objections at this, right? Like this, this is not like this, like the kind of thing that you'd think anybody who advocated this would have spent some time thinking about and would have like a line on. Right. You know, they'd, they'd be able to say, oh, here's how I would explain this case or whatever. Uh, like Harris says stuff like, well, hold on. What if there's like a, a chemical weapons lab that there's like a leak from the lab? This is uh, 2017. Uh, so we're, we're not, you know, lab leak doesn't have the same resonance it does now. But, uh, you know, there's a leak from the lab and, uh, and the, this, this accident at the chemical weapons lab. It ends up leaking out into the water supply. It wipes out the entire human race. Okay, but does that mean that the theory of chemistry that they were working with wasn't true because it led to the extinction of the human race? Like that's a that seems obviously wrong, and right. and Peterson doesn't quite seem to be sure what to say to that. He just kind of does his Petersonian words salad in response.
0: it just seems like he could have been like, you know, well, in one sense, no, kind of. Uh, in the, in the sense, like at least normatively, if not descriptively, they shouldn't have been doing that. But also in the sense of kind of like, you know, no, we should have kept up that chemical theory because only through believing it would we have been able to contradict it and kind of solve the issue. But as far as I'm aware, like, he didn't say anything like that, did he?
1: No, no. I mean, yeah, people could go back. I've got a link to that discussion. If, if you want to be really frustrated for two hours, but also like... <laughs> sort of entranced by what's going on, Uh, people could go back and listen to that. But no, as I recall, he didn't say anything remotely like that. He didn't seem to... His response didn't show me much sign that he quite got what the objection was. or. Which, um, you know, like,
0: it's not... It shouldn't be the end of the world that a Canadian psychiatrist doesn't have a very good theory of truth or kind of, of politics or whatever. But Jordan Peterson puts himself in a very bad situation because he comments on all these things and tries to give some kind of basically like he tries to be like a systemic philosopher which is something which doesn't really exist anymore someone that can give an account of basically ethics and meta-ethic, uh meta ethics and metaphysics and, and and truth and knowledge and so on um and obviously he fails because you know <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. For various reasons yeah. but he, he fails at this but for all sorts of
1: reasons, he, he fails. He fails at it. But yeah, I mean, he's he is somebody who is interested in weighing in on all of these subjects, uh, like very extensively, and, and with you know, and with one of the world's biggest megaphones for uh, for talking about this stuff, right? I mean, like like um, so. But it is. Uh, but yeah, and so so I, I guess just to just to connect the dots a little bit as as we sort of head towards the final stretch here, like. I mean, I guess I sort of said this earlier, but I mean, just to just to sort of uh, put a little bow on this part, w- the reason why this is interesting to me, because you're right. I mean, look, okay, you know, weird Canadian psychiatry professor <laughs> hasn't figured out, you know, all philosophy is like, sure, right, you know, the, uh, but, um, but it's also. Like, you know, if you are interested in like thinking about Peterson's religious pronouncements, which is, you know, what they, what the essay, the project of the essay, then then it is, I think, really telling because given all of his stated beliefs, like all of his stated beliefs about the social utility of religion and Christianity in particular, the Bible and all that stuff, on the one hand, and given his view of truth, on the other hand, if you put those two together, he should be entitled to say with a clear conscience, "Yep, I believe in God. There, there is definitely, there's definitely a God. That's definitely true, and that would be, you know, correct by his lights to to say that." And so, the fact that he he doesn't say that, the fact that he spins all this like weird evasive word salad uh i know you don't yeah no you spin sounds all right i stand by my metaphor uh that uh he uh that he's doing all this uh whenever the subject comes up uh i think is telling about exactly how far he is from being an actual religious believer that he's a uh that like because because he has i think that I think that there is a sort of basic correspondence intuition that he can't quite get past, even though it, it conflicts with his official position on truth and that there is some part of him that does recognize that's like, look, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't believe in God in the way that he, you know, believes that, you know, it's, uh, you know, in the way that he he believes in the correctness of Yugian psychology or the way that he believes in just pick some empirical facts that he thinks is true. Right. Like that, like he, you know, like he's, I think on some level actually too honest to be, to be willing to pretend that he believes in it in that sense that, cause he just doesn't, you know, so, but he also doesn't want to say, no, I, I don't, I don't believe in God, uh, I'm an atheist, because he thinks that, like, that's bad. He, he, he like, morally disapproves of I mean, it's, We haven't like, mentioned it
0: so far, but I think what's especially surprising to me that he won't kind of give a straightforward answer on God is that I think one of the main major reasons that Peterson is so weepy, and it's the same reason that kind of he's so willing to comment on so many issues and go on all these places and so on, um, is that I think he feels an immense responsibility to young men. Mm -hmm. Um, and on that basis it it does seem especially strange for me that you won't be willing willing to to commit to like just saying that god is real for the sake of these young men and because he believes that would you know be such a a clear benefit and obviously he he obfuscates but it's a really it's a good way to turn people off because he seems if you're not really into it it's like it's it's kind of a marmite. And you're kind of fascinated by him blabbering on about dragons, but Yeah. The other half of people, you're like this guy is an idiot <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah I mean and, and and like the the category of people that by the way, who I find most fascinated here are like true believers like evangelicals who who like Jordan Peterson, and I can only surmise either aren't paying close enough attention to to see that he doesn't agree with them or else. They don't care that he doesn't agree with them because what they're ultimately interested in is that, you know, he, he seems sort of whatever he seemed, you know, he's got his strange sort of charisma or whatever. And, and he's, he's yelling at their culture war enemies and ultimately what people care about, you know, the discourse is like that, you know, that you're like anybody who can spite my culture war enemies is my friend. I mean, it's like, ultimately it's like, um, in some ways it, it kind of rhymes with, uh, the Conservative Evangelical Love of Donald Trump, who uh, in 2016 famously, you know, he said that the Bible was his favorite book, and he was asked what his favorite verse was, and he, he literally didn't know a single verse of the Bible. Um, and, you know, obviously Trump has – neither knows or cares about Christianity in any way and has not conducted himself – way that those those people would like in his personal life or or anything like that right but it sort of doesn't matter i
0: mean i think donald trump is is basically like a soloist
1: (laughs) yeah right uh yeah i mean certainly they you know moral uh, you know like yeah sort of acts like it morally as if there weren't any other people um and he uh but sort of don't care right i mean i was like the sort of semi-joking thing i always said about this is like look Donald Trump could give a speech in front of an inverted cross with blood dripping off of it. And as long as he owed the libs in the speech, the evangelical base yeah, would be like, oh yeah, it's
0: St. Peter's cross. <laughs> exactly. I wanted to say, was it
1: yesterday or the day before you had Ashley on? I, I had Ashley on yesterday. Okay. Yep, yesterday
0: and, and Ashley is for a while. And I think we're going to get to it eventually was wanted to do a thing on, on sublation in the magazine and on the, the YouTube show of kind of what can the left offer to young men and being kind of explicit that we're talking about young men and not kind of yeah. generic things to, to young people. And also in my, people who don't know, Ashley's also my PhD supervisor. Um, when I'm writing my PhD, Ashley's always like, okay, this is a good kind of discursive critique of these ideas and privilege theory, but ultimately... What you should be explaining, what's the most interesting thing to explain, is why, despite these flaws, privilege theory is so possible, is, is so right. popular. Yeah. So the basis of those two things, um, kind of, why do you think, despite the the flaws of Jordan Peterson that we've talked about for an hour, I'm not on kind of, and not on, you know, the critique that we've given today has nothing to do necessarily with leftism, right? You could yeah. be right wing in, in, in a right wing atheist and give exactly
1: the same critique we've given today. So in that sure. basic, why why really sharpen it. You could be a right wing theist and get the yeah, same yeah, person. yeah. To be honest, was, yeah. like, this, this guy is pretending to be one of us, but he's not.
0: Yeah. Why Why do you think Jordan Peterson is so popular? And you know, what do you think the the left can offer young men in the same sort of way? Like, do you think they can be a left wing Jordan Peterson? Who?
1: <sighs> yeah. Or, uh, or, or, is
0: it the best kind of the the ween can have like a Hassan Piker.
1: <laughs> he's, just yeah. a,
0: he's just, a handsome, charismatic young, young man that other young men can admire, but doesn't kind of
1: yeah. Hide I, their mean, I, I am, I am very firmly on the side of thinking that it is good that Hassan Piker exists because, like, whether or not you know, whether or not I agree with everything he says, whether or not the way that he he says things is like exactly what like some like weird Marxist nerd like me thinks is correct or not, right? like I think that if you think about the kind of guy like young guy who's like watching Hassan, that is probably the 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 politically best voice who could possibly be in that kid's ear, right you know <laughs> that like uh it's it's so much better that they're watching this than than like anything uh anything else they could they could realistically be be watching that would sort of be be uh feeling a lot of the same niche uh so yeah, I mean, I think that so you asked a few different things could try to take it piece by piece. I mean, I think that, um, on the self-help thing, uh, I, I do actually think that, look, there is some value probably to, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm I'm going to just front load the fact that I'm not volunteering to fill this niche. You know, this, this, this would not be my, uh, this would not be the best lane for me for all sorts of reasons, but like, uh, But, uh, but I think there probably is some value in having, like, it's clearly something that people want. And, uh, I think that there would be some value to having, having somebody with better politics doing some of the self-help stuff and, uh, specifically doing health, self-help stuff that's oriented towards young men. Um, and, you know, I am, um, like... (laughs) I'm uh you know I I'm, I'm not going to I'm a middle-aged guy who is married for 10 years and you know is said uh you know is uh I'm not going to I'm not going to uh I'm not going to go around giving anybody dating advice you know but uh but there there is uh, Look, there we've such a large pool which definitely isn't CGI in. <laughs> yeah yeah no I'm, I'm at Pascal's place. Uh yeah I <laughs> uh, like but look, I mean, this is probably a bad idea to surrender this space to reactionary weirdos. Uh, And I know people will say And there is a lot of
0: um, kind of left or like kind of very strong lib left kind of self-help book, but they're mostly like, this is why you're racist and here's how not become not racist. And and, this is kind of, this forms a large sample of my PhD, (laughs) but these are obviously only going to succeed for people who are already guilty and totally. yeah, it's, it's those only are the gonna, bad people. <laughs>
1: people who are like already the right kind of weird masochist to, to like that right i mean this is something there's a clip that i've played a couple times on my show if people uh want to find this online there's a it's on youtube there's a uh, uh michael brooks uh a just a few months, several months before he died. So just before the pandemic, uh, he gave this talk at uh Lafayette College is the Mill series, where there's just this wonderful moment where he's talking in there about the appeal of these guys. And he is like, Yeah, people pick up uh, you know, some magazine or whatever they associate with, you know, the left, you know, and just probably some <laughs> lib nonsense, whatever, but it's like it's all like, yeah you Know Seinfeld is problematic, and you know, like everything, you know, everything is bad, and, you know. Here's my joke for bad, bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, like, you know, he actually does if you're do a-
0: 27 and you're dating a 24 year old, you deserve to be in prison, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. The uh, yeah, like the kind of people who who like spend like all their time, um, you know, all their time like dusting uh you know consensual relations like a csi team for you know microscopic traces of power imbalances um mm-hmm. like and then he does the like impression of jordan peterson which he could actually do but again i'm not going to try to do uh being like you know you're great right you know you uh you know um uh, and it's like yeah this is gonna be this is gonna be much more appealing uh and And so, yeah, I think it is a bad idea probably to surrender that space. I think that there's this kind of idea that people have that, well, uh, self-help and leftism don't fit because, uh, because, you know, roughly the left says that your problems are structural and, you know, and, and, and not about, you know, personal responsibility or whatever. I think that's, I would push back against that. I think that that is a, pretty brutal oversimplification um there is of course a sense of which to be on the left is to say that certain kinds of problems are more about social structures than individual decisions but also
0: well like, it's kind of like well yeah my problems have been caused by social structures probably but also i can probably do something about them myself and i can't fix the social structure so i may as well try and fix the other things
1: yeah and like also uh, so so yeah, I mean, I, I, right. So I think both of those, both, both of these are true that like even problems that are caused by social structures, that doesn't make you helpless yeah. about doing anything about the way that they play out in your life. I think Unless that's, we don't have free
0: will, as Sam Harris argues.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, next week. Uh, but, uh, but that's absolutely right. But also like not all, not all personal, like you don't have to. Uh, you know you could be a leftist a socialist a marxist all of these things and have this like very correct analysis of why like quite a lot of what's wrong with the world is due to capitalist social structures but also not be like such a you know like not have turned your brain off to nuance to such an extent that you can't see that like it's, it's just vulgar materialism right not all personal problems are in fact due to like, like, like if, uh, like, look, if, if, uh, you know, like just addressing myself to random person in the audience, right. You know, like this isn't anybody in particular, but it's like, you know, capitalism isn't really why you don't have a girlfriend. Right. You could, you know, you, you can like, uh, you know, like, like maybe you should just fucking go outside more. Right. Like that's, uh, there's a, and you know, it's complicated because a capitalism could exacerbate some of the reasons why you don't or whatever. But like, um, but, you know, we could live in an unfathomably advanced socialist society and, like, fully automated luxury communism, and there would still be people who needed to get their lives together. Um, like, because because humans are complicated and not everything is caused by economics or whatever. So I I, I do I, – I am softer on self-help than, than some people on the left. Um, but I would also say – Okay, so the first – the two components of your question I don't really think I've answered are like, why is Peterson so popular? Well, I sort of answered that, but like, why is Peterson so popular? And like, you know, can the left say something better for, for the kind of young men who right, –
0: In spite being a vague – like the top vague poster in the world. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, so, actually, so I wrote a book – I, I didn't write the book. I wrote a small part of a book uh, called Myth and Mayhem. A leftist critique of sorry PMC, uh, leftist critique of Jordan Peterson uh, for zero books a couple of years ago. Uh, so the the main you know so it was like a it was that a collection of essays. The main essays were written by Matt McManus and Conrad Hamilton and Marian Trejo McManus also wrote one and uh, uh, Slavoj Zizek wrote the introduction. Uh, but my essay in Myth and Mayhem was sort of an examination of Peterson's use of of rhetoric, um, and and I actually think there is a lot, you know. So anybody who's curious about what I say could go find that book. But I actually think there is a lot to be learned from Peterson's rhetorical techniques. I think he is actually very like, for you know, I mean, for it, everything we've been talking about, like, look, there is a reason why there are a lot of reasons actually, right? Why he's so uh, he's so popular despite everything. And I think he is actually. And it's not that,
0: like, and it's not because like young men are really evil.
1: No, I, no, I don't think so. Uh, like, yeah, he has a. I mean, he is he is actually in certain respects a very effective and compelling communicator. Uh, even though, by the way, we were talking about twelve rules for life earlier. The one of them that like he just to a hilarious extent never follows is be is be clear and precise in your speech. Like that is one of the twelve. Well, rooms. I mean,
0: I, I think I think that is the thing that's interesting about Peterson and the way that he is is decisively Nietzschean. Is that Peterson doesn't give advice for, on things that he's 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 perfectly mastered, right?
1: Yeah.
0: And I think that's a lot of the appeal. Like when pe- people that are criti- like that critique Peterson, will be like, "Look at his messy room in the background of this video." Yeah. But That's exactly the point. He knows. That he he's he room. Well, someone that naturally and immediately always cleans their room and never has a messy room, why would you take advice from them? Because they don't know what it is to have a messy room and then to have a clean room, right? And he's he's engaged in this process of, of, like Nietzsche was a very sickly man, (laughs) Peterson is a very sickly man who's gone through this. And, you know, Nietzsche was a drug addict and and Peterson is a drug addict and so on. Um and I think that's the kind of the, the way that he is very niche and the way that he is very interesting to, to young people and, and, and to why his advice seems a lot more real than it might be from other people, exactly yeah. because he's a pale son.
1: I like it. Um but so yeah, I do think that there's a lot you can learn from Peterson's rhetoric. I also think that he is addressing certain real problems, even if his solutions are are not really solutions at all uh and um but like you know when he talks about i mean you know it's you know like i mean we're having this whole conversation framed in terms of young men it's not like young women are fine right there's a you know but like it does play out differently right so we could you know we we could uh stick uh to uh stick to to this for our purposes right now uh i think that you know when he's talking about these young men feel sort of confused, adrift and drifted, alienated and like feeling like they can't like have the sort of pathway through life that they think that they should have and all that you know, that's not based on nothing. Right. Like that's a like he's he's putting his finger on something real. And I do think it's a huge mistake for people with let's just use the vague term progressive politics to um to sort of be dismissive about that because, you know, sad young, you know, who cares about you know, who cares about them because they're privileged? Whatever. Um, I think that's a that's a ma- I mean, I think that's just analytically wrong, and I think it's I think it's a giant political mistake. And, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that. Um, and I think to answer the last part of your question that I haven't really addressed, um, I will just point people towards something that I wrote uh, at the end of last year for uh, for the Daily Beast. I wrote an article called "Jordan Peterson's Politics Hurt the uh, Young Men." Uh, he says he wants to help. And, uh, and I, I think, I think that like the better way to push back against this stuff is not by, you know, it's like, all right, this is a maybe too hot a take for the end of our discussion, just to, just to say this and leave it hanging. But like, you know, it's like in a weird way, it's like the way that so much of the online discourse about the most recent horrifying video of a police killing is about, Oh, were these black cops in fact motivated by anti-black racism? And look, I don't actually find the suggestion that you could be black and be motivated by anti-black racism absurd by any means. Right. I I think that um, I, I, I think anybody who sort of say that that's absurd probably hasn't thought about it that much, you know, but like also I think it's kind of the wrong approach to take to, like, really hyper-focus on that issue and, like, you know, die on the hill of, like, no, 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 they were definitely motivated by anti-Black racial bias. I think that the much better way of approaching it is, look, police violence is a huge problem that often overlaps with this other problem of racial bias, but even when it doesn't. It's a big problem, right? And you should take it seriously. And it's and it's bad, even when it doesn't over. You know, if we lived in a world where a hundred percent of the cops who beat and killed defenseless people had, you know, had the same skin tone as the people who were beating and killing, that doesn't mean it would be fine, right? You know, like uh, nothing to see here. You know, <laughs> like uh, like it would still be bad, right? You know, and that's the thing that you should focus on. And I think you know, I think sort of roughly analogously right i think that the thing to uh the thing to focus on about you know peter said i mean i think if you're sort of stuck on like oh uh he's uh like act you know he says young men have it so bad but actually you know they don't they don't have it so bad or he's like you know whatever is the king of the incels or like whatever these sort of ways that people have insulted him i think that's kind of exactly the wrong approach that um, I think that the I think that the right approach is to say you it's uh, say look okay yeah you're right these young men who he says are confused and adrift and alienated and they're not you know forming stable long-term relationships and like having you know having life pathways they feel good about and all that stuff he's not making any of that up right that's real that's a that's a that's a big problem. Um it's you know, it's not the only segment of the population that's you know having problems like that, but it's one of them, and sure, let's talk about it, right? Like that's uh uh but also I think the right way to push back it's it's like, look, who did that, right? Like feminism didn't do that, right? Like uh gay or trans people existed didn't do that, right? That's that's not like uh <coughs> late capitalism did that right like this 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 is like what is you know like if you actually like we have some fairly and i'm not just sort of you know i'm, I'm not just kind of blindly spouting marxist dogmas here like we, we actually have some fairly specific statistical evidence of this right if you look at the um if you look at the surveys where like couples who are unmarried but at least one of the people the couple would like to get married or that don't have children, but at least one of them would like to have children. There's all the survey data on this and nobody says like, oh, I'm not going to do it because, you know, I read Andrew Dworkin or, you know, whatever. Right. You know, that's like, that's why. Right. Uh, It's the, you know, it's, it's, I, I've, I'm too much of a postmodern Marxist to want to get married or, or have kids. You know, what they always say is uh, like, like the top reasons are all like, I'm not in a financial position. My partner isn't in a good financial position. Uh, I don't. I don't have. I'm not going to get any time off work. You know, my partner doesn't have any time off work. We both need to work. You know, there's too much financial pressure. You know, like it's all. You know, I mean, it's it's all stuff that uh, is more or less what you would predict given straightforward, vulgar Marxism. There's
0: there's a great essay called the new super. I can't pronounce the word super like superfluous. The superfluous, the (laughs) superfluous, uh, the new superfluous men, um, by Alex Gendler in American Affairs Journal, which talks about this and talks about how there's always been unneeded men, there's always been too many men who are kind of at an end without a, a purpose, and historically, there's always been places for them to go, um, there were monasteries. Or there was the army, uh, and so on. Um, the problem is now. Well, then, then there was a brief time, kind of in the 1950s and maybe the 1960s, where basically this category was abolished,
1: mm-hmm.
0: where we didn't have this class of men, and kind of everyone was kind of included. And now we're kind of restored to that condition, this this grand historical condition. But in this process, kind of when when we managed to successfully abolish it for a while. All these places where these young men could go to were also got rid of, obviously. Right. Um, Now, the real difference of our our problem is that there's nowhere for these young men to to go to. And obviously, kind of, I think the the Petersonian solution either would be kind of a return to, to the 1950s through enforced monogamy or whatever, or it would be kind of some kind of new monastic system or whatever, right? Something like this, you could definitely see him arguing for that, right? Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. If if he watched this, he'd probably start advocating this.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, No, I think that yeah, I could, I could totally see that. That's uh, we should, we should have, yeah, we should have modest areas to uh, to stick the superfluous men in. I mean, like, but this is well, also um, this, as this, as, social,
0: as socialists yeah. and communists, what we want to do is just overcome this whole thing.
1: Yeah. No, exactly. And like, I think that, um, I mean, this is kind of, I mean, this is kind of a political hobby horse of mine. I mean, this is something I've riddled out a lot in the last year that like, this is something that drives me nuts when, uh, conservatives will say, will express this desire to go back to the family formations, of the 1950s that they'll, they'll say, um, like uh, J.D. Vance and Blake Masters, uh, who are the, the Peter Thiel candidates for Senate last year, both said things like this on the campaign trail that, you know, we should be able to, you know, that like they, they, they were in favor of, you know, single income households. And the thing about that is, look, there's a part of this that I'm fine with. Like, I think that if I don't think there should be any gender based pressure. On, you know, anybody to do this, right? You know, any, you know, like that, like. Uh, but I think it's a totally legitimate desire to, like, you know, like if if a couple, you know, once wanted to stay home with the kids, that's fine, right? Like that's a, that's that's something a decent society would would enable, right? That whether it's the man or the woman or they're both going to work part time so they can spend more time with the kids or whatever, right? Like it's, uh, I think that is absolutely a legitimate desire. But uh, when these guys say things like this, they don't really mean it. They're just trying to score culture war points because, like, okay, seriously. Yeah,
0: you you hear them kind of proposing these things, you are like, within capitalism, that would require you to spend, like, hundreds of billions in, like, welfare.
1: Yeah. Like, what's the plan to... It's like, what's the plan that any of these right-wing weirdos would endorse to to restore the like 1950s family wage so you could have like a single earner, uh, you know, to you know, to would uh you know, like a like a single earner with like a normal job, you know. Yeah, like the, the, the minimum wage would have to be like fifty dollars. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's like, it's like these guys don't want to do any of that, right? I mean they just they just want to like they just want to use this to to sort of score trad points, but like that's not like if they actually, I mean, look if they if they actually came up with an economic proposal to do this, then it's like my God, right? All that's a, you know, I will I will uh, I will I will sign up uh, for you know like if we have an action plan, you know, to uh, to get everybody the fifty dollar you know minimum wage, you know, I will uh, I will I will sign up for that red brown coalition, you know, but uh, but but they but they don't because they're not serious.
0: I was going to, do you know that, um, do you know that Andrew Tate is black?
1: He's like, oh, yeah, I think he's like, I think he's got like.
0: Well, he he basically is, is, his dad is African-American, but it's interesting because he grew up in Britain, he's not black, but if he grew up in the United States, he would be.
1: I see. Yeah, I don't know what's the, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the racial mores are in Romania. (laughs)
0: <laughs> no it's it's just very interesting to think about like how differently he'd be betrayed in american media if he was officially classed as african-american
1: yeah uh maybe i mean it is it is funny that like he um uh, like up until a minute ago uh he was all about how you know romania was this like much healthier society and like this is this is this like nice you know traditional place the way, that, you know, the way that a country should be. And then they, you know, arrested him for his, uh, for his various crimes. And, and now he's like, this is a, you know, this is a communist dictatorship that doesn't, you know, that doesn't uh, care about individual rights.
0: Um, to, to move us on to next week, do you know who's a big hatred of compatibilism?
1: Sam Harris. Well, Doug Lane. Doug Lane. Nice. Okay, oh, yeah, that's fun. Okay, so I will. Um, yeah, maybe we can get Doug to. Uh,
0: and and to be clear, that Doug wants at least wants to be a free be- will deny, uh, will free will believer, but he doesn't yeah. think that he thinks compatibilism is just kind of word games or whatever, and so yeah, he, yeah. to, he tries to have kind of like a leap of faith towards some kind of libertarianism, but he knows himself that it doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah. Okay, uh, Doug, if if you're watching this, uh, don't. Be of good cheer. Uh, we'll. We'll. Uh, uh, we we'll form all your
0: problems next week. You'll be so convinced. Exactly. As we give a long form treatment to compatibilism. Looking forward to it. Okay. Bye, everyone.